Then we walk by faith and not by sight. That is one of the new songs we are going to learn as a congregation. Next week, we will sing it as a congregation. I look forward to see how God continues to grow us in our faith and trust in the power of his promises through his word. Would you open scripture to 1 Timothy chapter 3? We'll be reading from verse 8 to verse 13. If you're using one of the Bibles provided in the chair in front of you, you may find this passage on page number 1029. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 through 13. The word of the Lord for us this morning is the following. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray for this word and for our hearts. Father, we desire once again to approach you with an open heart to understand your word. Father, we need your spirit to enlighten us, especially as we think upon the qualifications of men whom you called to serve their, your church. Father, I pray that you would enlighten us through the Holy Spirit and you would speak to every one of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we are in Sermon 9 in our series in 1 Timothy a series we have entitled, God's House, God's Rules. And for the last two Sundays, we have devoted our attention to the spiritual leadership of the church. Who should lead the church? We have seen that the spiritual leadership of the church is to be provided by a plurality of spiritual leaders. Now, different churches will have different kind of labels for these leaders. Some will call them pastors or elders or overseers or bishops. And then they're often, these are often assisted by deacons or church council members or, in more Baptist language, by committees. Uh, scripture is clearly distinguishing between those who are called to lead the church in giving direction spiritual guidance and teaching, in defending the faith, in confronting false teaching and false teachers, in equipping the members to the ministry of God's kingdom. All these activities are direct responsibilities of those who lead the church spiritually. Yet, in the church, there are also other needs, administrative needs, organizational needs, benevolence needs, facility needs, uh, sound tech needs, these needs are also to be under the purview of the spiritual leaders, but they do not need to be directly involved in each of these administrative roles. 
the leading of different administrative and organizational needs in the church ought to be done by the deacons of the church. Now, in most Baptist churches, at least this century, because I need to say, Baptist churches in previous centuries have not done this this way. But at least in this last century, in some Baptist churches, most Baptist churches, the real deacon responsibilities have been shifted to the chairman of committees, and the plurality of spiritual leadership has been given to the deacons. This is not the most faithful way of using the biblical labels. And at some point in the future, we may, as a congregation, want to reconsider how we use these labels in the life of our church. Biblically speaking, those who have the label of deacons should not have the charge of providing spiritual leadership for the church. That is the job of overseers, elders, pastors, shepherds, or bishops, whichever way you want to call them. And by the way, these do not need to be only vocational spiritual leaders. Lay leaders are greatly encouraged also. Yet, yet, just as it is crucial to have a plurality of deacons to care for the material needs of the church, it is crucial to have a plurality of shepherds or overseers or elders who take care of the spiritual needs of the church. I, as a pastor, cannot handle, cannot carry the entire burden of caring for the spiritual needs of this church. I need other men, faithful men in this church to do it. And the only body of spiritual leaders that the church has affirmed is those who are called deacons. But I pray that we would consider how we use those labels faithfully in the future. At Park Hills, our deacons do assist me in the spiritual oversight of the church and in carrying out the spiritual leadership for the church. Now, one question that rises occasionally is this. If the deacons assist the pastor with the shepherding tasks, then who cares for the material administrative roles? Now, some of them, some of those administrative roles, are taken care of by committee chairmen. Yet, I have to tell you that our deacons are actually doing double duty. They're caring both for the administrative needs of the church as well as for the spiritual needs of the church. They handle spiritual issues and administrative issues. I do pray that at some point we would distinguish between these roles, that some of our deacons would focus more on the spiritual needs and, 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 and spiritual leadership and others more on the material needs. And our labels would reflect that distinction and follow more closely the biblical pattern. Now, some of our current and prospective deacons may incline more toward eldering role than the diaconate role, and others may incline more toward the diaconate role than the spiritual leadership role. And this is a mixture of, of roles we currently have in the deacon body. I do praise God for the way God blessed this church with faithful deacons who have a, so, a humble heart. And I wish, I wish every new pastor that would start his new pastorate would have the kind of deacons that I've experienced here at Park Hills. And I pray that God would raise more of them here as we think about the needs of our congregation. So for now, as we consider new deacons, we should look not only at the qualifications for deacons, but also for the qualifications for elders that we looked at last week. I would also say that we should look at the deacon qualifications as valid for those who are serving as chairman of different committees. Because unofficially, they also help with some of those responsibilities. 
bottom line is that as a church, we need both offices, offices of overseers and offices of deacons. And it is crucial that those affirmed in these roles, whether officially or unofficially, qualify biblically to serve in these positions. So with this clarification of, of, of roles of overseers and deacons, let's look at how Paul describes the qualifications for those who are called to serve as deacons. Look at verses 8 through 13. What's amazing in this list of qualifications for deacons is how unamazing this list is. What's amazing about this list of qualifications is how unamazing this list is. Every Christ follower is expected to live these out. Now, we said the same about last week, about the list of qualifications for overseers. Yet, for overseers, there's one exception that we mentioned, actually one skill exception. Namely, he has to have the ability to teach. And the other thing he has to have he cannot be a, a new convert. He has to have some maturity in the faith. But for deacons, the, ex the exception is not there. The ability to teach is not an expectation for those who serve as deacons. Also, what's amazing about this list of qualifications is that they do not include a list of actual skills. We said last week that it's not important. It's not that somebody has to have certain skill sets in order to be the overseer of the church. Well, similarly, when it comes to those who are serving the church in administrative and material needs, we would expect that they would have a finance degree or some experience in leading an organization or some management skills. But no such skills are required in this list of qualifications. What's amazing is that even for those who serve the church in administrative needs, what is most required, what is most essential, is their quality of character. Friends, what distinguishes a deacon from a professional service provider is first and foremost his motivation for serving. In the business world, people may be willing to serve others so they could get their business, so they could get more customers. Uh, but for the Christian, for the Christian servant, for the deacon, and especially for the deacon, our motivation is to serve, not in order to keep our customers happy, not in order to have a good customer service department. Our motivation for service is found primarily in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yes, for the Christian, Christ is the willingness why we want to serve. It's Christ's model why we should want to serve. And it is Christ's sacrificial death on our behalf that is a model for our service of others. My friend, if you're not a Christian this morning, or if you're not a Christ follower this morning, I want to you to understand how this talk about deacons, about, about this, these qualifications for deacons, how they are so connected and rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. How this talk about service is rooted for Christians in something more profound than mere customer service or natural politeness. Friend, our attitude to serve is rooted in what Christ has done for us on our behalf. You see... We're all created by God, a perfect God, a holy God, a loving God. 
And you too are created by this God. He owns us. And He desires that we would serve Him and reflect His character and nature. That is a way, that is a purpose why God created you and me, all of us. But we rebelled against our Creator. Mankind pushed away God. And therefore, we triggered God's wrath against us. And for the wages of sin is death. But God, in His loving kindness, found a way. He poured out His wrath, not against us, but against His only begotten Son, so that those who trust in Him, those who repent of their sins and believe in what Jesus has done on our behalf, they might be brought back, brought back into God's family as members of this family, as servants of the living God, so that now there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friend, if, if, if you have not believed this news until now, if you have not heard this news, I encourage you, believe it. It is only by believing that Jesus, a physical man, who was born and, and died and rose again somewhere in the, in the first part of the first century, only by believing what He has done for us that we actually can have this new life with God. If you want to know more about this faith in Christ and what it means to follow Him, I would love to talk to you at the end of the service. I would love for you to speak to someone about how you can experience this new life with God. But friends, what Christ has done for us he came not only to, serve, to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom. It is in this gospel that we Christians find our motivation to serve others. All of us are called to serve. All of us. I as a pastor, other church leaders who give spiritual leadership to the church are called to serve. You as members of the congregation are called to serve. Why? Because Christ served us. That's the major distinction in the way we Christians ought to serve from the way the world, the business world, others in society seek to serve. And yet, when it comes to deacons, by their role, by their function, their function is delimited, defined through this act of serving. That's why, friends, when we think about deacons, they first and foremost not only have to do what other Christians are called to do, but by their nature, they're called to have this servant attitude. And I praise God for the kind of servant leadership that I, we have here at Park Hills in the deacon body. As we look at these qualifications, notice how similar they are to the qualifications of the elders or overseers. Um, first of all, look at verse 8. Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect. Now the phrase worthy of respect is one word in the Greek language. It is also... Uh, it also means being above reproach or with dignity or serious. It refers to honorable conduct. Paul used this word in chapter 2, verse 2, uh, when he described the kind of lives we ought to live as we pray for secular kings to, God, to have wisdom from God to live well. It's the same word that, God, that Paul uses when he speaks of elders managing their own family well and seeing that their children obey them with respect. This word respect is the same word Paul uses here. It's the same qualification Paul gives to women in verse 11 of this chapter when it says that women are to be worthy of respect. In other words, friends, deacons are those people who live such a life 
that they inspire others to respect them. That's the point. Deacons live such a life that they inspire others to respect them. And look at the, the specific qualifications. If this is an overarching qualification. Let's look at some of the specifics. Verse 8, they must be sincere, not double-tongued. Let me pause here for a second. If you have your bulletin, in the bulletin I did something this week that I did last week also. I gave you a number of questions that you can use uh, based on each of these qualifications as you think about men who might be able to serve in this role in our church. I'm not going to go through these questions necessarily, but they're there for your help as you think through these qualifications. But sincere. There are people who say the same thing in different contexts. You may ask, is, one, is a person saying the same thing in one context but something else in a different context? Uh, a deacon must have the ability to say in private what he says in public or to have the ability to say in public what he says in private. Now, there, there's wisdom of not speaking out everything you think. I think there's great wisdom in that. Some things need to be kept for yourself. But we should not speak out loud differently than what we think inside. We should have the ability to say publicly what we think internally. We may not say them all the same, the, all the details, but we have to have transparency and sincerity as we deal with ourselves in everything we do and talk. So there's some questions for you. Does the potential deacon speak consistently to different parties? Does the potential deacon have a reputation for keeping his word? Some people may not speak the truth for fear of what others will think of them. Friends, the ability to speak sincerely, truthfully, and lovingly is a very important biblical qualification for those who serve as deacons. The next qualification is not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. The question is not if someone consumes wine, but if he's indulging in it to the point of getting drunk. Does a potential deacon drink alcohol? If so, and, and, and notice here, it doesn't say they should not. If so, does he know how to control himself and as, he, as he uses it? In the area of not pursuing dishonest gain, this qualification echoes the qualification of love of money that we saw for elders and overseers last week. Is a potential deacon honest in his financial dealings? Does he pay his bills on time? Does he report accurately on tax returns? Does the potential deacon exhibit godly generosity and self-denial or greed in his or her personal financial matters? I said her. We will talk about whether or not women can serve as deacons in just a few minutes. Uh, does he hold all things loosely with a miser's grip or does he just, just a stingy guy? Does love of money show up? Uh, love of money shows up not only in one's personal finances, but in church finances also. You might consider whether a prospective deacon is willing to invest in missions and gospel ministry or if he clamors about building concerns and financial security for the church. Not that not being financially secure is not a good thing, but sometimes that, can, that is the primary thing we're concerned about. Um, deacons should not be people who tend toward building bigger barns but who are rich towards God in giving beyond what they are, what they have, and what the church is able to do. Believing, leading in faith. Friends, I'm going to brag about our deacons right now. I praise God that our deacon body is a kind of deacon body that dares to take God by his word and go in faith, even when church finances may not 
be as strong as we would like to. I praise God for them. And I want to see that spirit. Not that we would make foolish or unwise financial decisions. Please don't understand. We're not talking here about making financially unwise decisions. We're talking about taking God at his word. If God leads us somewhere, if we have the certainty that he's leaving, leading in a certain direction, that we would go that way and trust that he will provide. I praise God for our deacons who lead in this way. Again, these qualifications of sincere, not much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain, are exhibits of self-control in three key areas of our lives. Speech, drinking, and money. Deacons need to be examples in these areas. They must hold, they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. This is an interesting qualification. Even though deacons are not required to teach, they must hold strongly to the faith and the truths of that faith. In other words, even if deacons were called only to do acts of service and not spiritual leadership or spiritual teaching, even for this role of service, one requirement is that they know the truths of the faith and hold on to them. Uh, deacons must know their product. Uh, deacons are not just doers, but also thinkers. They must know clearly that which they serve. Three dimensions. Uh, they must have uh, some cognitive ability to know the gospel, know God's word clearly. They must have some experiential requirements in the sense of just knowing what needs to be done. And then they just have to have some life and conscience um, experiences that make sure that their life and conscience conforms to the faith they profess. So some questions to consider. Does he, does a prospective deacon, give a credible profession and personal saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Does he understand the gospel? Is he someone who perseveres in the faith? Verse 10, they must first be tested. And if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Now, the first part of this qualification in verse 10 is not so much a qualification for them, but a responsibility for us. We as a church must test. And not, I'm not talking here about a, a written test. We're talking about examine, examination and observation first. Is there any biblical accusation that someone can bring against them? And friends, we will do so here at Park Hills when we will take the, the, the names that you recommend, the deacons and I will be working through them and see which of them fits the qualifications of Scripture, and we will bring a list of nominations to you as a church. We will give you time to think and see if there's any accusation you can have against any of them. We'll give you some time to bring those in to us. And if there is no accusation, then we will promote them forward and, and affirm them as deacons. The point is, even if called to serve in administrative roles, the quality of one's life and character, the spiritual life, cannot be ignored. We should not put in administrative leadership roles people who simply have a gift or those whom first we have tested and seen if there's any biblical cause of blame or reproach that someone could bring against them. If there's none, present him and, and affirm them as deacons. Friends, a similar requirement is given to us in Acts 6 where the first prototype, they're not the first deacon office, there's not a deacon office in Acts 6, they're a prototype of the deacons in Acts 6. But the requirement was that they would be men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Yes, even in carrying out administrative tasks, we should appoint those who live out healthy spiritual lives. And then we get to verse 11. 
when it says, in the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. This is a very interesting verse, a very difficult verse to translate, because the, the Greek phraseology doesn't really say they're wives. It simply says, women must be. And the question is, who are these women? Are these the women who are wives of the deacons? And some would think that way. That's why the NIV translates their wives, because they interpret that way. Other translations, like the NRSV, translates it's just, and women, referring to women who might serve in the role of a deacon. The reasons for these two, interpre the two, two interpretations are many. We could spend a whole lot of time talking about it. Let me give you the ultimate issue that I think we need to be careful about. Should women serve as deacons? The big question, I don't think, rests with this verse. I think this, the, the big question rests, first and foremost, with what Paul said earlier in chapter 2, when he made very clear that the spiritual leadership of the church is to be done only by men, and only by a subset of men, those who qualify for the spiritual leadership roles. What this means is that if in a church the deacon body functions and is perceived as giving that spiritual leadership or accountability to the church, I do not think, based on Scripture, based on 1 Timothy 2 and 3, that women should and can serve in the role of a deacon. Because they function unofficially, even though with wrong labels, unofficially they function with that role of giving spiritual oversight. I would say the same principle goes, should women be in a church council committee? Well, if that council gives spiritual leadership and oversight to the church, the same principle goes. No, they could not. Because the spiritual leadership of the church is entrusted by God to a subset of men. Now, if you have a hard time understanding this concept, I preached on this, I think, two or three Sundays ago. Uh, part two of Getting Down with His and Hers. We'll talk about that. Uh, feel free to look up on our web or get a CD with that sermon. But as long as the deacons in any church, the deacons or a committee or a, or a church council functions with spiritual authority roles, it is not appropriate for women to be in that place. And what that means for us at Park Hills is that as long as, as, as and we do function, our deacons function with this mixed role, we cannot appoint women in that role. If at some point in the future the church will consider rethinking through the biblical labels and we will call those who lead the church spiritually by a different label and the deacons will not form a deacon body that provide that kind of spiritual leadership, then I think it is permissible for a woman to be appointed to that role. But only if there's clear understandings that deacons do not have the spiritual role of leading the church. Whatever the issue is, whether the phraseology here refers to women as the wives of deacons or women who might serve in that role of a deacon, whatever, whichever interpretation it is, I do think Paul makes very clear points that women have a very important role in supporting their husbands to serve as deacons. And if Paul is talking here about the wives of deacons, then the big news is this. It's not only that deacons themselves must qualify for that role, their wives must qualify also. And friends, I do think that this is also for those who oversee the church. It's not just 
the overseer must live a good life, but his family must live a good life. And the way he manages his family affirms or, or disqualifies someone from serving or leading in God's church. Therefore, ladies, please don't think that you have a secondary role. Your role is just as important, but perhaps it's, it's, it's fleshed out differently in the life of the church. And the way you support your husbands in leading and living godly lives in the way you yourself leave or live that life, a godly life, you can encourage godliness in the life of the local church and in the life of the leaders of the local church. I will not speak on the last qualification on verse um, 12 because I, it, it's almost verbatim what we said last week about elders who must be husbands of one wife and must manage their children and household well. I will just defer to the sermon last week as being having the same meaning and impression for deacons as it has for overseers. Friends, I want to conclude the sermon this morning by giving you a quote from a pastor who said the following about church leadership and about the leadership of the church. A church without godly leaders is an endangered church. A church without godly leaders is an endangered church. And a church that does not train leaders, godly leaders, is an unfaithful church. A church that does not deliberately pursue the encouragement of godly men to step up and leave live their lives in such a way that they qualify for these leadership roles. If we don't do that deliberately, we are an unfaithful church. God gives leaders to his churches for the maturity, unity, and soundness of each local congregation. Without godly, faithful, replicating leadership, churches suffer deeply. My prayer for our congregation today is twofold. I pray that we would be the church that is training up and equipping up godly men who would qualify for the spiritual leadership and for the spiritual service in the church. And I pray that we would be the church that qualifies ladies to be the spiritual godly wives that support their husbands in leading the church. If we slack on training men and women, we are unfaithful as a church to God's word. And I desire and pray that aspiring, that we would be aspiring to these qualifications and aspiring to them would be the norm not the exception among the members of Park Hills. Now, for those of you who are visiting us this morning, perhaps you're considering to make this church your home church, we want to give you a big heads up. Our goal is to train every member of our church to, tr to live such a life that they qualify for serving God through the local church. We want to keep you accountable and to challenge you to spend your life for the sake of the kingdom, no matter what professional field you choose to work in. If you're looking for a church home that simply allows you to remain uninvolved, simply consuming your Sunday morning services without challenging you to grow spiritually or without stretching you to serve God, without challenging you to know the gospel or to seek out the lost, if you're looking only for a comfortable, service-providing church, you are in the wrong place. We want to be the church where majority of our men could qualify at some point in their lives to take on the role of either a spiritual overseer or deacon. We want our men to live that kind of life. In other words, we want all members, both men and women, 
to qualify for the standards of spiritual maturity. Becoming like Christ is our objective. The Holy Bible is our central, essential and authoritative for our life and worship. And the local church is a community where God matures us. And friends, we invite you to be a part of this family. My prayer for Park Hills is that as we consider and approach a time when we are looking for members, men who would serve as deacons, let's look at the qualifications that Scripture lays before us and uphold and encourage those men who live as an example of their faith before us. May God be honored through our process of appointing new leaders. May God be honored through our desire to live such lives that would qualify us for these roles. Let us pray.